Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hey folks, it's Rena Jadav here with Ocean Robin, and today my very special guest has an incredible new book that we are hosting this masterclass on. But before we get started, before we get to meet Ocean here, I want to introduce you to a couple of quotes for his book. Uh, the first one is the famous, the godlike Paul McCartney, and he says, the book that you hold in your hands is lighting the way for the future of your health and that of the planet. The book, by the way. <laughs> There's a book from Paul, yeah. <laughs> <Ta-da>! <laughs> um, and the second quote is from Tony Robbins, whose events I have attended, who's an amazing maestro of, of power and motivation and inspiration. And he says, Ocean Robbins has inspired millions of people, including myself, to make food choices that fight disease and fuel vitality. Now, he's distilled decades of hard-won wisdom into a simple and easy-to-follow roadmap that will change your life and help you change the world. Read it, practice it, and thrive. Wow. Wow. And how did you get Paul McCartney to give you a quote? How do you know him? Well, um, so my dad, John Robbins, is uh, a best-selling author. His books have sold millions of copies. And uh, Paul and his then wife, Linda, who since passed away of breast cancer, uh, met with my dad um, back years ago because they were inspired by his work and wanted to help share it with more people and actually asked for his advice on an animal rights organization they could support. And my dad at that time suggested People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, or PETA, which was a pretty small organization at the time. And the McCartneys got behind it in a big way and helped to contribute a lot to the growth of that organization's success and to bring animal concerns into the public consciousness on a deeper level. Um, So we've just been in touch, you know, since back then. And Paul's been a plant-based eater, a vegetarian eater since, uh, since the sixties. And, you know, he attributes that to part of the reason that he's still going strong, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, performing rock and sets for several hours at a time, you know, in his seventies now, uh, he's so youthful and vibrant. Uh, and yet he's been, he's been, uh, a core part of our culture for decades. I think he's the number one top selling artist on the planet. And, uh, you know, that takes a lot of years to get to that status. And, uh, He's done it vibrantly uh, with good health fueling the way. Most definitely. Ocean, why did you write this book? And who is it for? I wrote 31 Day Food Revolution because I am sick and tired of people feeling sick and tired. Because I'm fed up with a toxic food system. I'm not willing to see more kids think it's their fault that they're sick and feeling overweight and and that are facing diabetes and their childhood I think that it's not okay with me that half of our seniors over age 85 die with Alzheimer's. It's not okay with me that we have 14 million people dying of heart disease every year on this planet, and we know how to prevent 80 or 90% of those cases just with eating the right foods. So there's massive suffering happening because of the food on our plate. You know, if, if you drive your car into a brick wall, the death certificate might say that the cause of death was impalement by brick wall. But you know, and I know the real cause of death was bad driving. 
<laughs> Similarly, you know, death certificates might say heart disease or cancer or type 2 diabetes or Alzheimer's or some other lifestyle-induced illness. But the real cause of death was the way that we eat and the way we live. And I'm trying to say, look, we can do better. We can turn this around. And I want to put the power in your hands where it belongs. For sure. For sure. I'm a great example of someone who could have gone on, on a path of meds and steroids and sort of really yeah. the end of a high quality life. Yeah. And instead I chose a path that you recommend and I'm back. I'm healthy. And so for anyone who's doubtful that this stuff works, it works. It works. It, it does. really does work. You out there who are looking for excuses, stop looking for excuses. This is the time. It's the beginning of the year. This is the time to take charge and really transform yourself, transform your health this year. All right, yeah. let's dive right in. So chapter one, the food revolution diet plan. Ocean, what is the diet plan? Okay. So it, the core of the food revolution diet plan is four simple principles. Number one, eat less sugar and processed junk. Our bodies were meant to eat real food, not food-like products. Number two, eat less animal products, especially from factory farms. You know, in the blue zones, the places where the people traditionally live the longest and healthiest lives, life expectancy is often uh, into the 100 and beyond with vibrant health. And in the blue zones, uh, which are these six parts of the world, um, you know, they eat between zero and 10% of calories from animal products in all of them. In the United States, we're at 34%. So, uh, you know, whether the optimal is zero or a little bit is a subject of debate. And I go into that in 31 Day Food Revolution to help you listen to what's right for you, your ethics, your values, your health. But the bottom line is we need to eat a lot less animal products for the sake of our planet as well as for the sake of our own health. Third principle is to eat more whole plant foods. This is the really good news. When you eat a lot of whole plant foods, you set yourself up for success, for vibrant health. And I don't know any serious, credible researcher on the planet who doesn't think we need to eat more vegetables. They are your friend. So Popeye was onto something. It makes you strong. It makes you vibrant. It gives you vitality all day long and all life long. And then the fourth principle is conscious sourcing. And that means you want to eat, it matters where your food comes from and how it was produced. That's why I'm a big fan of things like organically grown, local, fair trade, natural, real whole foods, non-GMO foods, uh, humane, pasture-raised if you're going to eat animal products. All, is, all of these things matter, and they affect the quality of the food, the impact on your health, and the impact on the planet. Two clarifications. So clearly you're not a fan of keto. Is that correct? I am not a fan of keto unless you have certain forms of epilepsy. Uh, I think that for certain forms of epilepsy, it's been proven to be extremely helpful mm -hmm. and um, more effective than the medications that are widely used for that, especially with children. Okay. However, uh, and, and as a short-term weight loss strategy, if that's all you're thinking about, it can be very effective. Although, actually, so can methamphetamines or cocaine. That's right. And, I don't think those are healthy for you. Or uh, in the long run, the keto diet is deficient in a lot of nutrients that we need. Like fiber, it's very hard to get enough fiber on a keto diet because there's no fiber in any animal products or any oils. And less than 5% of the U.S. population gets enough fiber. Fiber is what fuels the good bacteria in your exactly. gut. So it's not just necessary to keep you regular, but it's also necessary to keep your body digesting the nutrients you need and absorbing them from your food in order to thrive long term. 
Uh, so, you know, the gut's like a second brain. Mm -hmm. And so most people doing keto are not getting nearly enough fiber or the, quite frankly, the plant foods that we need to thrive. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of medical studies showing that legumes are associated with good health outcomes, that whole grains are associated with good health outcomes. Don't take my word for it. You can look up uh, in the medical journals, um, there are over 10,000 studies published in peer-reviewed journals that tell us in no uncertain terms, we need to eat more whole plant foods. Absolutely. Well, guess what, folks? Keto doesn't generally tend us in that direction. There are avocados in the keto diet, maybe nuts and seeds. But for the most part, it tends to be a diet based heavily around animal products. And that's not really what we need more of. So um, again, for epilepsy, uh, for super short-term weight loss, it can be effective, but as a long-term diet strategy and plan, I'm not a fan. Second clarification, define processed foods, because I've had this debate with lots of people who say that, well, processed food is perhaps that sausage in the freezer, and others say, well, processed food is even nuts in a bag. Any Anytime you open a bag, it's a processed food. Anytime you do anything to something, like there's people who say, well, oil is a processed food. Don't take oil steak. So where are you on the spectrum of what is the definition of a processed food? So nature has an exquisite will, brilliance and wisdom in it that uh, is just remarkable. There are all kinds of cofactors in every plant and every food that work together like an orchestra. And, you know, we can isolate the individual items to make oil or to make, you know, sugar or to make, you know, um, chemicals and supplements even. And sometimes those can have benefit. But I think a trumpet, for example, sounds better as part of an orchestra. <laughs> not just playing solo. And there are all kinds of nutrients that are so good for us, and we don't, we don't actually get the full benefit when we eat them in isolation. For example, it turns out that you absorb iron better when there's some vitamin C with it. That's right. And it, there, are, there are all kinds of factors like that. We, we take folate, which is very healthful, and we've created the supplement folic acid, which turns out to be linked to higher rates of certain forms of cancer. Yeah. Folate is not. Folic acid is. So the bottom line is that in case after case, when you extract a, a whole food and make it into, divide it up into different pieces, you lose something. And oil is an example of that because avocados are different than avocado oil. Now, yes, they both have avocado oil in them, but avocados also have about 10 grams of fiber per avocado. They also have um, a lot of other nutrients as well, even a little bit of carbohydrates. Mix all that together and you get a whole that's a lot more wholesome mm -hmm. than just avocado oil is. Exactly. And uh, the same is true. So, so uh, olives even, you know, mm -hmm. now generally they're highly salted, but, you know, they have compounds in them that, that olive oil does not. So I'm a, generally an advocate for as much as possible eating foods in as natural and unprocessed a state as possible. Now, what you and I can do in our kitchen just by the laws of nature is fairly minimal as far as processing. We can blend stuff. We can cook it. We can freeze it. We can, you know, maybe broil it or whatever. But we're generally not going to be doing the stuff that it takes a lab to do. Right. You really separate it out. And so labs are where, and, and factories are where you get into the kinds of processing that can really be more detrimental to human well-being. And in general, though, even home cooking, it's the more natural, the better. So for example, better to eat an apple than to eat an apple smoothie. Mm -hmm. because the apple, the chewing process, is actually good for your digestion, and it helps you get more value out of it. It releases enzymes. 
and it doesn't go into your bloodstream as quickly. Whereas when you drink that apple smoothie, it goes in really fast and it can have a different impact on the body. Uh, that isn't to say that some smoothies can't be good, that blending isn't helpful in some cases, but my general orientation is the more we can eat whole plant foods, the better. Chapter two, know what's right for you. What's right for us, Ocean? <laughs> <laughs> Depending on your health history, your stage of life, your metabolism, your ethics, your ecosystem, the season that you're in, uh, you're going to have unique needs and expectations from your food life. And there's no two people that are the same. You are the only you on the planet. So I hope that makes you feel special. So true. You are. And just because uh, 5,000 studies have shown that a certain food is good for most people most of the time does not mean that it's good for you all the time. It means that it might be. And you should definitely give it some serious thought. Kale is wonderful for most people, but not everybody, right? Absolutely. Some people, a lot of studies show that legumes are beneficial for most people. Statistically, the more legumes you eat, the more likely you are to live a long, healthy life. But that doesn't mean they're good for you. Some people get indigestion from them. Some people don't know how to cook them right. So there are different factors that play into it. So the bottom line is you want to pay attention. Be a student. The moment we think we have ourselves figured out or, or our spouses figured out, that's a downhill slope. So it's really helpful to always have a curiosity about who am I, what am I experiencing, and frankly, what worked for you yesterday might not even work for you today. So I think that in, in, in chapter two, I help you understand how you can apply those principles so you can listen to your body. Some people go on an elimination diet where they, they get rid of all but a few basic staples and they see it how they feel. And if they have any mysterious allergies or symptoms that have been going on that clear up, then they add foods back one at a time very methodically and see if at any point the allergies or other symptoms come back. It's an example of a way you can approach it. Um, but often the first step is just to clear out a lot of the unhealthy foods, the processed junk, focus more on whole plant foods and see if that works. And if it doesn't, then you can go further to an elimination diet and add things back one by one. Um, you know, some people are allergic to soy or corn or you know, um, some people are allergic to dairy products or, you know, shellfish or nuts. So these are things that can be problematic. But statistically, you can look at the data and see that, you know, most people do pretty well with nuts and seeds and, you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah. In, I'm so glad that this is chapter two, because in my personal experience, there's no way Ocean I could have healed without starting a journal and meticulously tracking. Now, in my case, I had 28 symptoms, and I couldn't figure out what was coming, what was going. So I needed to make notes to say, I ate this, and this is what happened. I drank this, and this is what happened. And that included supplements, right? So I, I um, couldn't find a journal to do that. I made a Heal Journal. For anyone watching this, listening to this, we give the Heal Journal away. Just go to Help Boot Camps, download a free Heal Journal for 30 days, and you can track as you're going through Ocean's program, make notes, track, because Ocean is so right. What some, you know, what worked for someone else doesn't mean it'll work for you, and you will not figure this out unless you test it out. So for me, you mentioned kale. Kale makes me fall asleep. Uh -huh. It turned out that, yeah. they, that I had a little bit of a thyroid weakness, and juiced kale goes and kind of smashes it, right? So if, if you're experiencing exhaustion or tiredness after you eat or drink a juice, that's an indicator whatever you did didn't work. 
And that's the other reason I say, you know, don't do like combinations, go one food at a time. So you can say, okay, I ate an apple and I reacted. You put 20 things in your juice. You're like, I don't know what I reacted to. So I, I love this chapter. Thank you. All right. Chapter three. Foods to eat and foods to avoid. What are those? Give us a <laughs> I think we've covered the big sweeps already. You know, foods to avoid are the processed foods, sugar. The average American eats 54 pounds of added sugar per year. Now, some people say, oh, what about the sugar in fruit? Well, um, generally, fruit is good for you uh, in abundance. Pretty much all whole fruits are good for you. But fruit juice is kind of a different story because, again, you're extracting out the fiber and therefore, the fruit sugar gets into your bloodstream a lot faster. Fruit juice concentrate, even more so, is a sweetener um, that can do damage to your overall metabolism and well-being. Um, but uh, but uh, you know, fruit is great. Um, so I go over some of those kinds of things, and you know, like um, if if you are somebody who isn't gluten intolerant, I think that uh, whole grain wheat can be helpful. It's the highest protein wheat or a highest protein grain rather, and it's high in fiber, but many people are gluten intolerant. And I, in, in 31 Day Food Evolution, I give some insights on how to tell if you are, um, but uh, if, if you are, then don't eat it, you know, or barley or rye, because they're also containing gluten. Um, and I'm not a big fan of flour in general and flour products um, because they refine more. So whole grains are actually right. better for you or sprouted grain breads, for example, if you're gonna eat a bread. Um, and so we just kind of go over actually in this chapter, there's like 500 foods and I give them a score. Uh, yeah, and, uh, I love you that know, list. You're getting animal products, I talk about which ones are perhaps, you know, from a, purely from a health standpoint. Now, from an ethical standpoint, any, any animal product that involves killing an animal, then that's an ethical impact. And some people don't want to participate in that at all. Yes. And I completely yes. respect that. Um, for those who do, then it matters a lot how the animal was raised. And there's some big distinctions there, pasture-raised being generally the best or grass-fed. Um, and for those who, for whom ethics are a consideration, I want to help you eat in alignment with your values. Um, and then if you do eat fish, then most of them are pretty high in mercury uh, and heavy metals, which is quite dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. But there are a few like wild salmon or um, herring or sardines that, that are lower in mercury. And so if you're going to eat some, then you know, those, are, those are the best options if it's in alignment with your values. So that's kind of what we focus on in chapter three. Give us an example of one food that people will be surprised to know you were saying avoid and one food that people will be surprised to say you're saying eat. Okay. Uh, let's see. I am saying... Um, Let's see. Well, one thing that one food that's getting a lot of negative publicity right now is tomatoes. Yeah. Because of the lectins in them. Mm-hmm. And yet we have abundant studies linking tomato consumption with uh, health benefits. They, they have, they're very high uh, in some phytochemicals that help fight cancer, particularly prostate cancer for men. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I'm saying go for it with the tomatoes. All right, tomatoes, ketchup is back. Yeah, particularly- <laughs> I'm joking, tomatoes. ketchup is not well, back. Well, the trouble with ketchup, ketchup yeah, the trouble with ketchup is that it can be, uh, you know, high in high fructose corn syrup and yes. salt, but, yes. but healthy ketchups, yeah, go for it. And tomato paste and, you know, but especially yeah, tomatoes are particularly beneficial in terms of fighting cancer. And then as far as foods to minimize or eliminate, I mean, orange juice uh, from concentrate would be one that uh, I think is, uh, you know, it's kind of sad, orange juice concentrate, they, they, the orange juice makers want to keep a consistent flavor year round. And so they actually take, um, you know, 
let's say, uh, extracts from oranges and create a chemical out of it that they add back in precise amounts so that all the orange juice has the exact same flavor, even though uh, they then keep it for like a year at a time stored in deep freeze. And so the thought of like fresh squeeze, it's it's not really that. It's, it's kind False of advertising. Of a, yeah. So yeah. on the end of the day is you end up with something that goes into the bloodstream very quickly and is not really, you know, your, your friend health-wise. And then, you know, soy cheese is another one. A lot of people give up the cow cheese and go to soy and you know what if you want to indulge a little bit you know pig out on pizza now and then go out for donuts you know i'll still love you i hope you'll still love you too <laughs> um but let's be honest it's not a health food yeah for sure for sure all right chapter four vote with your dollars who this this one moved me tell our viewers a little bit about it so it matters where you shop uh, quite a bit and when you surround yourself with positive influences, a whole, it's a whole lot easier to make positive choices. And so in this chapter, we look at, uh, you know, like the difference between shopping, say, at a supermarket or shopping at a, um, you know, at a, uh, grocery, a, a typical grocery store versus shopping at a natural food store versus farmers markets or community supported agriculture programs or online shopping with a vendor like Thrive Market, which uh, sells exclusively natural and non-GMO and largely organic foods. And the reality is that when you choose to focus in on the more um, healthier vendors, retailers, then you are setting yourself up to have an easier time making the right choice. And particularly farmers markets can be really wonderful. And so can community supported agriculture programs where you actually pair up with a local farmer and uh, enjoy the foods that they, the, the fruits of their harvest. A lot of CSA programs, they literally will share, um, you know, a piece of their share with, of, of their harvest with you. So if they had a great zucchini week, you can get a lot of zucchinis. And the nice thing about that is you're connected to the seasons, you're connected to the local economy, and you get a good deal. If you're willing to give up getting precisely the same things that you wanted and you're willing to be flexible, then you kind of like enjoy what life brings you. And that can be a lot of fun. And the taste of the produce from farmer's market is unbeatable. It's unmatched. Yeah. Yeah. You won't find it even at a health food store like a Whole Foods. The produce tastes different. And I always say to people, try it a couple of times and you will not go back. Your family will say, this doesn't taste the same. Go back and remake, you know, the way you did last week when you bought stuff from the farmer's market. Yeah. So. Yes. Um, chapter five. Build healthy eating habits. Now we know how hard that is. Yes. I myself, despite my two crises, now that I'm healthy, I find myself facing the same challenges everybody else does of how do you eat healthy. So give us a couple of insights from this chapter on how do you build healthy eating habits? It's so important. You know, I, if it rains, the water goes into, you know, gullies and grooves and eventually they form creeks and even riverbeds. And, um, but it all, and that's habit, basically. And it gets deeply grooved over time. Uh, the good news is you can change habits, however deeply ingrained they might be. And the, the right time to repair a roof or to dig a gully is when it's sunny out. Mm. So I show how it's not when you're exhausted after a stressed out week of work. That's not the time to build a new habit. The right time is when you're fresh and thinking creatively and you apply some willpower we don't have that much willpower in any given day, but you apply 
your little dose of willpower to creating the grooves and the habits. So you get rid of the unhealthy foods in your house. You create a shopping list. You plan ahead. You you cook on the weekends so you have food prepared during the week. You cook in quantity. You freeze little containers of ready-to-go meals so you have them when you need them. You you prepare food the night before so you have it ready to go the next day. You, you shop ahead for a trip when you're going out on the road so you have what you need. And these kinds of habits can set you up for success. The other um, way you, you build healthy habits is by knowing if you have food addiction and mm -hmm. taking steps to address it. A lot of people are not fundamentally the author of their own food choices. Mm -hmm. If you ever have cravings for foods that aren't in your best interest, if you ever feel like you um, don't know what happened, but suddenly that bag of potato chips or cookies or whatever is gone and uh, you Guilty. know, you're on the wrong end of an empty bag, then uh, the, the, um, the question becomes, are you actually the author of your choices or is there some way in which they are being made for you by addiction? And addiction can be insidious. And so um, I actually share, if you go to foodrevolution.org forward slash food quiz, again, foodrevolution.org forward slash food quiz, you can find out, um, Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson created a, a little survey where you can find out whether you're not, or not you're addicted to food. Uh, it's extremely powerful. If you are, then the biggest prescription is go off sugar and flour products, uh, and then also, um, you know, plan like have don't eat don't eat snacks basically, um, uh, and, and until such time as the cravings really subside, you need to um, have yourself um, some boundaries or some bright lines that that help set you up for success. Great tips there. All right, chapter six. You deserve a toxin-free home. Yes, we do. When did these toxins enter our home and how did this happen to us, Ocean? So we have a lot of toxins in our environment and in our world and in our homes that could be doing you harm. And so in this chapter, we look at things like plastic food storage containers, plastic water bottles, water itself and drinking water that may be contaminated and also cooking utensils. Bottom line is, I will just cut to the chase here, based on a large amount of scientific study, you don't want Teflon or the typical nonstick pans. It can cause serious problems. Uh, if, I, if I, you were to follow my advice, you would get rid of plastic food storage containers and you'd use glass or stainless steel ones. And, um, and same with water bottles. You wanna to go to stainless steel, most likely. These are just safer, more inert um, materials plastic leaches, um, bisphenol A, BPA, and other chemicals, even the BPA-free ones may be even worse. They're endocrine disruptors, they're linked to higher rates of cancer, they're linked to developmental delays in kids, and um, you don't need it. So in our home, we just got rid of the plastic. We just have you know, glass, sometimes there's a plastic snap-on lid, that's fine, it's not touching the food, it's just touching the condensation, but, but you don't want the, um, you know, your food sitting in plastic all day long. Uh, if you care about your health and safety. That's the first thing I did after I was diagnosed with colon cancer, got rid of all of the plastics. All right, chapter seven, how to make a healthy, happy kitchen. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so this is where we talk about basically setting up the, the patterns for success, like shopping from a list so you're not at the mercy of impulse purchases in the store, planning ahead, shopping on the weekend, like on, you know, I mean, and, and also cooking in, the, in quantity on the weekend you know, and making your kitchen a happy place. So think about what are the things you can do to make time in the kitchen be fun. However much or little time you spend there, turn on some tunes, light a little incense, light an aromatherapy candle, you know, do something that makes it special for you. Say a prayer before you enter the kitchen. Clean the dishes first and then work in a clean environment. 
environment. And invite a loved one over to cook with you so you can do things together. These are some of the things that can help you to make it sweet and fun and enjoyable. Love those tips. All right, now let's move on to part two, which is all about nourish and chapter eight, which is eat to beat cancer. And boy, the way the numbers are growing for cancer, it used to be, I don't know, one in a hundred, then one in 10. And now for certain cancers, it's one in three. How can we eat to beat cancer ocean? So, um, you know, researchers have concluded that only five or 10% of cases of cancer are caused by genetic factors. This means 90 to 95% are caused by a combination of diet, lifestyle, and environment. Um, tobacco is implicated in about a third, about, about 30% of all cancer cases. But there's one factor that's even bigger than tobacco, and that's the food we eat. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, what am I talking about? I'm talking about processed meats, red meat, mm-hmm. um, and sugar, and processed foods in general. Those are implicated in a lot of the cancer cases we're seeing today, and conversely, not getting enough vegetables and whole plant foods. So one study, for example, <clears throat> found that 2,000 women who had all had breast cancer, and they were monitored, and they found that those who ate uh, mushrooms daily had a 64% drop in risk of death of breast cancer. Wow. Compared to the women who did not. 64%. Wow. When those same women also drank uh, green tea daily, they had an 89% drop. My goodness. Of death of breast cancer. So um, I read that I'm not at high risk for breast cancer, but I'm drinking green tea and eating mushrooms pretty much every day. (laughs) A lot of people who do the same. Uh, So uh, those are, you know, those are amazing. And then, uh, you know, there's also tremendous studies on cruciferous vegetables and fighting cancer. I mean, Huge, huge results. Um, cruciferous vegetables, I'm talking broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, arugula, cauliflower, kale, uh, turnips, collards. Um, they're really powerful. Um, they have these things called isothiocyanates in them, ITCs, that detoxify and remove carcinogens. And you know they are your friend. They also provide a lot of vitamin C, which is also good for helping fight cancer. And then celery is amazing at fighting cancer. I didn't know that. Just amazing. Yep, yep. It's not something we think about very much, but in uh, oh, it was a diet food for models. Yeah, that's right. In China, they found that eating two medium-sized stalks of celery two or three times a week, a week reduced risk of lung cancer death by sixty percent. Wow. Yeah. So um, you know, and it's also helpful with ovarian cancer, pancreatic cancer, prostate cancer, breast cancer, and liver cancer. I will start juicing it again. Celery, rock on with the celery. Yep, yep. What are your thoughts on glyphosate as a potential cause of cancer? Oh, well, I'm pretty concerned about it. I mean, I think the World Health Organization has found that it's a probable carcinogen and, um, you know, it's a known endocrine disruptor. It's also, by the way, um, been patented as an antibiotic. So it can uh, disrupt the bacteria in your digestive tract. So yeah, glyphosate's a serious concern. It's the active ingredient, the primary active ingredient in Monsanto Bayer's Roundup. And um, so uh, it's being sprayed on our food crops now, especially genetically engineered crops, um, corn, soy, canola, cotton, sugar beets, as well as alfalfa. And um, it's a big concern. So um, I say going organic and going non-GMO, particularly with those crops, 
is pretty important if you want to reduce your exposure. It's also being used as a desiccant uh, to dry out crops after harvest, particularly wheat. So um, now it's more important than ever that if you're going to eat wheat, you want to go organic. Yeah, you want to avoid an heirloom seed, ideally, yeah. like an icorn. Yeah. All right. Chapter nine, heal your gut. Do you have a plan for us to heal our so gut? So there are 40 trillion chemists in your gut. They're hard at work and they help you to digest your meals. They, they make a lot of essential nutrients that are critical for your brain and your whole body to function well. They, they, they are amazing allies to you and um, you need them, but we need to feed the good guys and not the bad ones. So the bad ones like to eat foods like sugar and animal products, and they tend to contribute to more ill health for humans. And the good ones like to eat fiber, particularly certain kinds of prebiotic fiber that are food for them. So the more you eat um, vegetables and fiber foods, the better um, you're taking care of and nourishing the good guys in your gut that in turn will help you thrive. All right, chapter 10, is breakfast sabotaging your day? Wow, I thought breakfast was the most important meal of the day, as we've been told over and over and over again. <laughs> well, uh, we hear that a lot, and it may be, but the, the problem is that a lot of people uh, are not, not eating a particularly healthy breakfast. Um, right. Most breakfasts are, you know, like typical breakfast might be bacon and eggs and sausage and you know, maybe some toast slathered, slathered in butter with some orange juice. And then a lot of times we're talking sweet stuff like waffles smothered in syrup or pancakes smothered in syrup. And uh, none of these are particularly healthy. You may have noticed there were no whole plant foods in anything I just <laughs> named. And um, so I've got a few solutions for breakfast that I suggest. And so one of them is, and I hope you don't hate me for saying this, but uh, a little controversial, but it's leftovers. I sometimes had a great dinner and I don't think there's anything wrong with eating quinoa and, you know, some steamed greens and uh, nice curry sauce for breakfast, if that's what I feel like. And so a lot of times that's what my breakfasts are, is mm -hmm. they are leftovers, mm -hmm. repurposed and delicious. Um, but uh, sometimes people also enjoy green smoothies with some nuts and seeds in the mix. Other people like a pre-soak where you take like some uh, chia seeds and soy milk and or other kind of milk in, and um, nutmeg, maybe some um, some uh, bananas and blueberries or frozen blueberries and put it all together and soak it overnight or some oats work well. And then you get this amazing porridge that's just ready to go. Sometimes I'll make a week's worth at a time and I'll have it a few different mornings of the week. You can also have the classic, if you want to do an old fashioned hearty breakfast, you can have bagels and toast, but make it with whole grain bagels or toast. And then put some nice avocado, drizzle lemon juice, salt, pepper on top, maybe some spices or seasonings, some turmeric, even if you want to spice it up and make it interesting and extra healthy. You know, if you're going to go with a scramble, you can go for some organic tofu or for some pasture raised eggs and make sure to put lots of veggies in the mix. So there are some good ways that you can have classic favorites and make them healthier. Um, but um, you know, the bottom line is start your day off right. And for me, that starts with planning ahead. I like to often make breakfast the night before most mornings so I can get off, get off to a fast start with my day. What time do you eat your breakfast? Do you do intermittent fasting? Uh, I, 
uh, I'm an advocate for intermittent fasting is, is, you know, subject to exactly what that means. Different people define it different ways, but I think that it's optimal to not eat after dinner time, like mm -hmm. no late night snacking so that you go to bed on a slightly empty stomach. Then your body is able to focus on sleeping and getting deep rest instead of digesting all night long. You'll sleep better and you'll digest better. And you'll feel better when you wake up. Don't go together super well. It's nice to be able to, um, to really let your body do one or the other. And it, it's good to let your metabolism really take a break while you're asleep. Then you wake up fresher. Um, some people say it's good to have 12 hours between last meal and first meal. Uh, that could be 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. or 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. or 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. or whatever. I think that's a good general concept to give your body 12 hours off out of every 24. Um, there's no hard and fast rule, although some people would say that there is some data to back that up. Um, but I think you have to listen to your own body and see what makes sense. Some people don't do well taking that big a break, but a lot of people do. All right. Chapter 11, the world's best snacks. Ooh, what are those? <laughs> well, well, I'll just there. jump right in here because we talk a lot about snacks, but really it's fruit and berries and nuts. And I'll no focus chocolate. on nuts for a second. No they are really healthy and seeds as well. Um, you can soak them, you can sprout them, or you can just see, eat them seasoned, lightly roasted with a little salt or some spices. Um, but nuts are associated with a lot of wonderful health benefits. They're even associated, shockingly enough, with weight loss. People who eat more nuts uh, tend to be lower in the weight spectrum. Now, that's kind of an enigma because they're so high in calories, but it is a fact. And, and it may be partly because people who eat them are not eating some of the other snacks that are um, going to put your metabolism into a state of distress, like, uh, like sugar, mm -hmm. sugary products. But nuts are high in quality protein and fiber and minerals and tosafirols and phytosterols and vitamins like E and, and um, you know, B6 and folate. And uh, they're really good. For All right. Chapter 12, Ocean. I made my daughter read this because she hates vegetables. And <laughs> I'm constantly trying to hide vegetables into my husband's food too because he's a meat eater. Yeah. Chapter 12, how to love eating vegetables. Tell us more. Veggies are so good for you. Let, just, let me just tell you about one study that is particularly fascinating. Researchers at Rush University in Chicago they studied 950 people age 81 and over, and they looked at their diet and lifestyle patterns and their mental health, and they reviewed them over time. And um, they, I, they separated out factors like exercise and smoking and economic background and a lot of other things. So they could just focus on, you know, after they have a formula, you know, for right. how to weed those things out. So they could just look at this one thing kind of in isolation as it were. And they looked at what they were eating. And they found that those people who ate the most greens um, had an average of 11 more years of healthy brain function. Wow. Um, without cognitive decline. 11 years, that's pretty huge folks. Um, and we also know that uh, a Swedish study actually found that Popeye was right. Spinach makes you stronger. Yes. Uh, there are so many studies showing us to eat more greens. So how do you do it? Well, you can cut them up playfully, which can be fun with kids. Uh, you can, you know, do interesting things like ants on a log where you take a stick of celery and you smear it with peanut butter in the middle and you put little dots of raisins along it. You can uh, cook creatively, like find recipes you like that feature vegetables, make them a main course. So, you know, for example, you know, instead of thinking of vegetables as a side thing, make them the center of the thing in your own thinking. 
the main dish might actually be a vegetable dish and be it's based around veggies. Um, and um, you can also blend things up. Sometimes that makes them go down faster. You can add them to everything, everything from, um, you know, pasta sauce, mm -hmm. you know, you can put them on pizzas, you can add them to casseroles, you can add them to all kinds of things and get creative with it. And of course, when you feature them, you know, like putting tomato sauce over cooked veggies instead of over spaghetti, you know, you can get some interesting mm -hmm. creative results. You can grow them yourself. Studies show that when kids are involved in growing vegetables, they're more likely to eat them. Dehydrate kale chips, make yourself a slaw. Um, you can marinate them. So let them soak in a nice tasty sauce over time. You can wrap them up and put them in a wrap. You can slice and dip them. And of course you can steam them. So there are many ways to enjoy them. And I would say seasoning is another big factor. When you put the right spices on vegetables, they get infinitely more delicious. And you can make desserts out of them. You can hide beans and stuff and sweet potatoes and brownies and That's nobody right. will know. All right, chapter 13, the healthiest way to add flavor. Hmm. I was just talking about spice. So let's just jump in there. Garlic, ginger, turmeric, cinnamon, hot peppers. These are all incredibly healthy for you. And, you know, in the modern American diet, we generally basing our seasonings on sugar, salt, and fat. And we aren't, we're missing out on a whole lot of fun because spices are incredible. So I talk about how to use them and how to clear out your spice cabinet so you get rid of bad stuff that may have been sitting there for 20 years and, uh, and bring in the good stuff so you're well-stocked and then learn to use it. It can up-level your enjoyment of food tremendously and do your health a good term in the process. Chapter 14, enjoy healthy and delicious pleasures and what might those be? I don't know about you, but I don't want to just survive and cope and mope. I want to thrive. I want to love my life. And I want yeah. pleasure in my life. And I want pleasure in my food. And some people fear that eating healthy means giving up on the fun and the pleasure. And I say, no, it actually means having more pleasure. You just have to have healthy pleasures from healthy food. And so it's time to create that. So we look at also some of the particular foods that a lot of people associate with pleasure that are really good for you. I'm talking about coffee. I'm talking about tea talking about chocolate. These are, and also red wine or grape juice. Now, red wine is controversial. Alcohol is not particularly good for you. But if you're going to have an alcohol source in your life, it's the best one. So we look at all these and the pros and cons of them and how to do them right and not so right. But the bottom line is that done right, these all have some positive health benefit potentials or at least, um, you know, can, can tend in that direction. And uh, enjoy your life. Enjoy your food. You know, don't make the perfect into the enemy of the good. Mm -hmm. uh, it, if it isn't enjoyable, then you're probably not going to stay with it. Exactly. One of the keys to healthy habits is you have to learn how to, how to actually light yourself up and, and love foods that love you back. So true. All right. Chapter 15, get the goods on grains and gluten. Oh, such a controversial topic. Where do you It is. It is. You know, no one size fits all formula is true for everybody. So listen to your own body. Um, but in, in the medical research, especially when, when we look at long-term epidemiological studies of large numbers of human beings, sometimes 50,000 people over the course of decades, we find that people who eat more whole grains tend to be healthier. And uh, gluten intolerance is a big deal. Possibly 10% or more of the population is gluten intolerant. And of course, 1% to 2% has celiac disease. Uh, if you are gluten intolerant or have celiac, do not eat gluten, particularly <laughs> if you have celiac. But for most people, gluten can actually, as part of whole grains, 
can actually have a place in an overall healthy diet. So, uh, but I, I recommend sticking with particularly not the gluten grains because, um, you know, you don't know for sure, perhaps if you might have some gluten sensitivity. So I've, I'm a big fan of millet, amaranth, buckwheat, corn, teff. Um, there's some great ones. Quinoa is probably my favorite grain of all. Rice has a concern because a lot of it's contaminated with arsenic. So, um, you know, it's been a staple down through the centuries, but um, yeah, all rice tested by consumer reports from all sources all over the world was found to have arsenic contamination in it to some extent. Uh, ironically, whole grain has more because it concentrates in the outer hull. Mm -hmm. So this is one place where white rice may actually have some benefits just because of that, although you're listening out, missing out on fiber and a lot of vitamins and minerals. Um, you get those from the vegetables. You don't need to get them from rice. Exactly. Mm -hmm. All right, chapter 16, legumes for a long life. Do you have data on that? I have a lot of data on that. Uh, when when um, Dan Buettner uh, wrote for National Geographic about the blue zones, mm -hmm. one of the things he looked at was, um, which is, you know, this is the places where people live the longest and healthiest lives on the planet. One of the things he looked at was, was there any dietary factors they all had in common? And in addition to low animal product consumption, he found that they all ate legumes. Now, some, the most legumes are beans, but we don't want to leave out lentils and split peas from the mix. So that's or you know that's why we say legumes, which is a slightly broader family of foods. And uh, you know, legumes are uh, provide about a third of the world's protein, and uh, they are sometimes called the poor man's meat. Um, but I don't that as as if the fact that they're inexpensive was somehow a strike against them. I don't mm -hmm. think the fact that they're affordable and that they're accessible to most of the world's population should somehow be a bad thing. I think it's a really good thing. Now, some people struggle with how to cook them properly without getting gas. And the key thing is you wanna soak them for 48 hours, changing the water every 12 to remove the offending oligosaccharides that can build up. There are a lot of what causes the gas. So if you pre-soak for 48 hours and then you pressure cook them to make sure they're really well cooked, then you end up with a fabulous food that uh, for most people can be highly beneficial. Chapter 17, what about dairy and meat? All right. Well, you know, we know pretty conclusively that a plant-predominant diet seems to be best for most people most of the time. We know that processed meats are, are directly linked to causing cancer, and they're linked to higher rates of heart disease and dementia. We know that red meat also similarly tends in those directions. And, you know, other meats are a bit more controversial, particularly fish, but there are concerns with all of them, uh, dairy products as well. Uh, speaking of dairy, um, you know, humans are the only species that drinks the milk of another species. And we're also the only species that drinks milk past infancy. And mm -hmm. um, so, um, yeah, although we're very enculturated to think of it as normal, it's actually from an evolutionary standpoint, kind of an acquired taste. And from a nutritional standpoint, dairy products have wonderful nutrients for propelling a baby cow to grow really fast. But um, are they optimal for humans? Well, probably not. Um, the hormones that are in milk have an impact, significant impact on human hormonal development. It may be that the substantial increase in dairy consumption in the last century has linked with a four-year drop in average rate of first menstruation for, for girls and uh, premature sexual development amongst our young people. And uh, dairy products have um, compounds in them, particularly now that we're injecting cows with hormones to make mm -hmm. them lactate longer and faster and more abundantly, uh, that, that may not be good for your hormonal balance. 
that are linked to higher rates of cancers and uh, especially breast cancer. So um, I'm not a big fan generally of most animal products. Um, if you're going to eat animal products, pasture-raised matters a lot, like I said earlier. And again, with fish, if you're choosing to eat fish, then wild fish of low mercury types is you know, the best way to go. All right, let's get to part three, which is all about gather. So Ocean, chapter 18, bring friends and family along. What is that about? Well. Food is very social. It connects us to people in communities and cultures all over the world throughout history. Breaking bread together, sharing a meal together has been an act of connection and communion between people. And yet food can also be a source of division in a lot of families. So in this chapter, we look at how you can leverage food as an opportunity to build connection and bonds, even with people who don't all eat the same way, and how you can be a positive influence on somebody. So if you want to give them a copy of a book, like say 31 Day Food Revolution, just for example, then uh, you might want to stick a post note on there that says, hey, I thought of you on page 700, no, not 700, but page 63, because it's, uh, you know, and then I bet you they will open to page 63. That's a trick for kind of pulling somebody in, you know, because they'll be curious what made you think of them. And then um, you can make healthy foods for loved ones. You can look for openings when something is up, up for them and talk about what's up for them. You know, a health concern they might be facing, an ethical concern that's up for them. Ask questions, get to know what people care about, what makes them tick, what they're passionate about, what they love, because then you're in connection with them. Always love people, let them know you love them no matter what they eat. And then lead by example. And take advantage of the experts. You don't have to be the expert in order to share what experts have discovered. Share articles, share books, share videos, share podcasts, trainings, or resources with people that you love. And then also respect people. Remember, Martin Luther King said, you have no moral authority with those who can feel your underlying contempt. Chapter 19, find a healthy eating ally. Such great advice there. Please share. So I'm suggesting that if you're wanting to improve your food life and make it healthier, you find somebody in your life that you can ask to be an ally to you in that process. Ideally, they're already a healthy eater that's kind of a role model or a peer to you in the journey. But even if they're not, if there's someone that gets you and loves you, they can still track you and support you. Someone you can call when you're confused or struggling, and they'll be in your camp and they'll cheer you on. And you can count on them. You can ask them for this to help uphold you and call you to your true values and integrity. So you don't want someone who's going to be like, oh, it's fine. Just party and have fun when you're wanting help holding a bright line. You want someone who will back you. And I show how you can actually make that request and find that person and get what you want. And finding tribes that are like you that are on your journey makes a big difference. Another option is health boot camps. You can check out the health boot camps for the different, um, you know, we are a foundation. So all of this money gets donated back out. But it's a great way to find other people like you that you can support, you can get support from. All right. Chapter 20, start a healthy meal swap team. All right. Who's on my team? <laughs> so what this is, is uh, it's really lovely to um, actually create kind of a potluck experience on a regular basis by sharing food. So a meal SWAT team is like, it's like a carpool. So like on Mondays, I'll bring food for the team. Tuesdays you will, Wednesdays she will. And then we all have healthy meals for lunch at work, for example. Or maybe you bring some extra soup over to the neighbors and then they'll bring something over for you the next night. So you kind of, uh, you can start just friendly and informal, but you can also make it more formal and structured and you can count on it. And you know that somebody's showing up for you and you're showing up for them. Cooking in quantity can actually be more time efficient. And it's a wonderful way to build social connection around healthy food. 
That is just the most brilliant idea. I wish some entrepreneur out there will go create the Airbnb for meal sharing because I think neighborhoods would transform if how to access healthy food was solved. That problem was solved. So brilliant, brilliant idea there, Ocean, and hope this will trigger some people out there to go do some great sharing and build their team. All right, chapter 21. This is a hard one. Eat well when you eat out. Oh, that's so hard. How do you so eat when you eat out? My top advice here is um, that um, choose restaurants thoughtfully so that if you do eat out, you're uh, with any regularity, you're choosing to go to places that serve food that works for you. Um, whatever your values are, or whatever your goals are, you want restaurants that make it possible to live by them. I give specific tips for how to kind of improvise and work off of things that might not be on the menu and ask for what you want in restaurants that don't, but you most want to focus on the restaurants that already have things on the menu that are relatively healthy. Um, and then when you're going to like a party or a family gathering, bring something to share even if you're not the host. Uh, that way, you know, you'll have something that works for you, but you can also share it with others. Um, use Google or Yelp or a smartphone app to find interesting restaurants in your area, particularly try searching for like healthy restaurants or vegetarian restaurants or organic restaurants, and you might find some interesting new things you didn't know about. Um, and then uh, lastly, uh, invite loved ones to join you at your favorite restaurant. If there's a healthy restaurant somewhere, even if it's not in the city you live in, have a little excursion and invite some loved ones to come together around healthy food and treat, treat your loved ones to that experience. It can be a moment you'll remember forever. Chapter 22, the stunning neuroscience of gratitude. How's that going to help us? I always thought that people who were grateful were healthier, which we do see in a lot of studies, because they had a lot to be grateful for, like their health. Um, and this is kind of a chicken or egg type of thing, right? Because it makes sense that, that people would be grateful when things are going well. But it actually turns out that the expression of gratitude makes things go better. And that's the remarkable data we're getting now. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, I say take a few moments every day to give thanks. Yeah, a simple act of saying grace around a meal can be life-changing. You can also, at the end of the day, just write down three things or five things you're grateful for from the day or share that with a loved one. It can change the entire quality of your life. Statistically, when you do that, you're more likely to have your marriages survive. You're more likely to exercise regularly. You're more likely to make positive choices in the same circumstances. And uh, you're more likely to not only feel happier, but to be healthier. Saying grace before meals is magical. And I, I ask everyone out there that's listening or watching to start doing that and to notice how their health improves. There is magic to the chemical changes that happen when you do gratitude or when you do grace before meals. That's, that's so wonderful that you shared that. Chapter 23, feed our children well. How? So uh, kids are the future. Yes. We always say that, but we don't always act like it when it comes to feeding them well. And as a society, we are failing our children when we set them up on a diet hooked on processed junk foods and sugar and don't nourish the foundations of health in them so they have healthy habits for life. They're very impressionable and they're counting on us. So some of the things you can do to help, uh, help kids eat better in your life, to-go packs where you pack up organic trail mixes 
or other healthy snacks like a bag of popcorn with good seasonings or vegetable chips or fruit and nut bars. Have those ready to go because a lot of kids have active lives and are busy and you need stuff ready. Um, sharing meals with kids, families that eat together, eat better and are healthier and happier and more connected. Um, don't bring unhealthy foods into the house. If you don't want your kids snacking on potato chips, then don't stick a bag of potato chips in the cupboard um, because it's a lot uh, more likely to set up temptation and fights when the foods are there. So drawing some bright lines around what comes in the house can help. Talk about food honestly with children. Um, get them gardening and growing vegetables. They're more likely to eat them. These are all some of the things that can really be helpful uh, in helping our children eat better. And connected to that was with school lunches, which is chapter 24. That's right. Oh, that is such an eternal problem because, you know, while I'm packing healthy food for my daughter, she comes back complaining, well, everybody else gets noodles and pasta and white bread. And, you know, here I am with my, you know, kale and arugula salad. So how do we resolve this issue? Well, so it's true. Uh, school lunches are not renowned for their healthfulness. They have taken some positive steps uh, in the last decade, but, but not nearly as far as they need to go. And recently some steps backwards. Um, the bottom line is, um, you know, you can obviously help your own family with packing lunches or that kind of thing. But, um, but it can be tricky if you're also concerned about the kids in your community and what your taxpayer money is going to. So in this chapter, we actually look at how you can actually influence not just your family's food choices, but what's served in the school by, for example, reaching out to your local school uh, food service director for the local school district and finding out what's on the menu and finding out what their supply chain is like and asking them a few key questions that can help you diagnose the problem and understand where it's coming from and maybe give a little bit of feedback ask what they're doing to try to improve the healthfulness of the meals how the kids are responding there are great recipes that are kid approved that work in schools and i show you how to connect with those so you can share those with the food service director they may not know that it's possible to serve healthy food that the kids will actually eat they've a lot of times they've experienced putting out you know some broccoli unseasoned plain and it sits there and nobody eats it and they'll go for the french fries and they're like oh our kids don't like it what's the point of serving exactly. it? but there's ways to prepare food that actually kids will like it and so learning how is critically important and you can actually set up a meeting with your local food service director or your local school superintendent to have this very conversation it's amazing it only takes like an hour to have a meeting like that and it could shift the course of health for thousands of kids for generations to come it's a crusade I think more parents need to take on. So thank you for bringing that up. All right, last section, which is part four, transform. And we're going to do this as an entire section instead of chapter by chapter. So I'm going to read out the chapter titles and then Ocean, let's talk about these. So GMO and food giants, is organic worth it? And the simple act of growing food. Tell us the essence of these three chapters. Absolutely. So here we look at the fact that you can change the world. We need to put our own oxygen mask on first before helping others. And then we need to save the freaking plane. Yeah. We live in a toxic food culture and it's not enough to be healthy if everyone around you is dying in droves. If insurance costs are out of control because we're spending a fortune collectively caring for a disease economy. And so here we look at how you can be part of the solution on a local and global level, how you can eat more humane food and say no to factory farms that are torturing animals, how you can eat more socially just food and say no to, uh, for example, chocolate farmers that are working under slave labor conditions and have to employ their kids 
in labor so their kids cannot go to school just so they can keep a roof over their heads because they earn 78 cents a day. Uh, we look at how you can be a part of the solution by choosing fair trade, pasture raised, local, organic. We look at how you can say no to farm workers being pest poisoned in the fields by pesticides. And we look at how all this comes back, how all these chickens come home to roost. How when you say no to an antibiotic dependent animal agriculture system, you're helping to preserve antibiotics for future generations of humans. You're helping to say no to food poisoning that sickens and kills thousands of people every year. You are helping to stand for a healthier food economy and a healthier food future. When you say no to taxpayer subsidies of commodities crops and high fructose corn syrup and factory farmed meat, you are also saying yes to a more socially just food system where the poor don't have to be condemned to nutritional disasters because they are able, because healthy food is, is competitive in the marketplace and doesn't take your whole paycheck just to eat whole foods. We look at the underlying causes behind the food and health disparities of our times and how we can shift that so that healthy food does not have to be some kind of elitist luxury. Mm -hmm. It can be an opportunity that's available to everybody. Because you know what? If healthy food is only for the elite 5% that are currently shopping in whole foods markets, then we have failed as a society. We failed our children and we failed the next generation. And it is time for us to step up and say, everybody, regardless of how much money they make, the color of their skin deserves healthy food for their families. They deserve the knowledge and they deserve the access to be able to have healthy food and they need to be able to afford it. And we together can create a world where that is possible. And we show how simply and practically with real life solutions that are really working in the real world. You can be a part of all that simply and easily. Every dollar you spend, every bite you take is a vote. So what are you voting for? <clears throat> for yourself and for your planet. This is real democracy in action. You know, we face a lot of problems in the world that feel overwhelming, but when it comes to food, you have power. You have real concentrated immense power. And I wanna show you how you can leverage that power to get results that help heal your life and help heal your planet. And we have to heal the planet. Ocean, this yes, book is amazing. Check it out. There's some awesome recipes in it, which we didn't go into today. There's so much more, especially around actionable tips that you can take. Ocean, I want to thank you so much again from the bottom of my heart for exciting and, and creating this, this movement that we all really must join today. Time is kicking. We've got to join this movement today. Thank you so much again. Thank you. And for the rest of you, I'm going to see you on another interview soon. Stay smiling. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.